Welcome to the cocoon, where the 99% transform into 100%. I'm your host, Michael Baker, and you're listening to the Open Door Podcast Series. Please welcome my guest from Portland, Oregon, Ben Garvey. Today, I am speaking to one of my very good friends who I've known for, wow, for a while now, uh, over, is it getting close to 10 years or nine? More than that. They probably... No. I met, no, I met you 2008, right? No. That was, that's when we first were together with the Pino Camp. But Well, I didn't move here until 2008. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, See, so you're off. Really? It's, a, it's been about eight or nine years. Yeah, that's crazy. My good friend, a very good... Yes, I know it is. Time is relative. So speaking to one of my very good friends, Ben Garvey. Ben Garvey, the man is in the house. I'm so happy you came down to talk to me today. How are you doing? Doing all right. Yeah? Stay out there. All right. So Ben, I met Ben, like I said, in 2008, <laughs> when I had first come back to Portland, uh, and I was looking for a cinematographer. Except I didn't call it that. I think I probably said videographer or something of that nature. And I don't even know what I was looking for exactly, but I posted it somewhere and Ben answered the call. And (laughs) oddly enough, he was like, I never answer these things. I never do this. Now, that's funny because now I realize he doesn't do that. (laughs) Now that I know him, he's very uh, specific in in what he does, but something led him to, you know, contact me and... um, and we were doing some things at Mile Post Five, which is a uh, you know intentional community uh, here in Portland, Oregon that I helped start and um, I said I can say develop, but to an extent, uh, and that's where we met and started doing work together, and we have been working together on various things for uh, quite a while now. So then, you know, what was that story? What what happened? How I don't even know what I was looking for. Uh, I think it's just the way you kind of worded it. Just was appealing. Um, How did I word it? <laughs> <laughs> was it sexy? It's your usual, like whenever we talk or we meet, it's, you always have this um, kind of very motivating, bigger than now kind of um, language. And think that was what you made to that posting you did. It's just this is something bigger than just the usual gig and that's very intrigued and that's hmm. when we follow through with you. You did and you did big time and I think then it was actually filming at Milepost 5. I think that's what we were doing and we did do that. We filmed um, Sam Adams who was, you know, then the mayor. Uh, actually, he was not mayor yet. He was up and coming mayor to be honest with you. Yeah. And um, Gavin Shuttler who uh, actually, who was the creative director at Mile Plus Five. He's the one that actually landed me there in the first place. Brad Molson from, whom, from Beam Development. He's a, a big developer here, a sustainability uh, developer in uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, that's how it all started. And we did a filming there for you know the start of all of these things I've been talking about. I know no one understood what I was, you know, saying back then. I didn't even, to be honest with you. I did, but I didn't know specifically. All I knew was that we had to do this thing. We called it Showcase PDX, and that was showcasing local talent and uh, innovators. And we did a little pilot show, and then we also filmed uh, a little pilot for, uh, or I should say, what is it? Not a commercial, but a promo ad for Milepost 5 um, with, you know, like I said, Sam Adams and Louise 
uh, from the RACC and uh, some other known artists here in Portland. And anyway, it turned out really nice back then. It was a long time ago. But uh, since then, I have worked with Ben on various projects. Ben is an amazing cinematographer. Um, and in case no one knows what that is, Ben, what is a cinematographer? Basically, it's the way the camera moves and lighting and um, you kind of conceptualize what the director wants or the story of the film, how the camera motivates the story. So it's more than just, you know, normal people go, oh, you're the camera operator. You're you're the videographer. Because uh, every time I say that word, he goes, I'm not a videographer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like videographers more for... Um, like wedding events, kind of more stationary. You know, it's cinematography is more of an art form in a way that gives you art painting with light. Your your for me actually lighting is more important than the camera. It's more your lens and your lighting um, that it creates cinematography and how the camera moves in that space. So so you're de- you're designing a shot. You're working different lighting and um, yeah, just. I, so what I'm hearing again, it's about how it looks and translates um, through the camera. You know, so you're really setting up shots. It's about lighting. You said was very important, or if not the most important, is that what I'm hearing? Well, no, I mean, it's all. I mean, it's all subjective, but um, it's it's a lot of people kind of geek out by what cameras and but cinematography. You can use any camera. It's. It's all about yeah, just how the lighting um, and how it just works in, in tangent with like the story you're telling or the purpose or what kind of mood you want to evoke or hmm. it's just you're painting frames pretty much in cinematography. It's, it's painting frames, painting. So explain again for people who don't you know what's a frame. Well, for instance, my favorite thing in cinematography, I just like love to light faces and having like uh work at the key light which is like the main light and then having seeing how the light falls off on their side of the face and that kind of reveals all these intricacies or details or stuff that's in the shadows that makes the frame intriguing so it's almost like renoir like when he i mean a lot of cinematographers refer to him in the way he just lit through candlelight and this like natural lighting Mm. So basically, as cinematography, you're putting it into motion. So at each frame, you're you're lighting, and and even if the person moves, then you're or you're filling the frame up in the background and staging different objects or the depth of the frame. So I mean, that's kind of what happens in a painting. Mm, okay. So a couple of things. You said a name, Renoir. Renoir. Who is that? It's a French uh, painter. Okay, so he was a painter. Yeah. So okay, you're doing an analogy here of painting and then setting up, uh, you know, so you know the the stage, so to speak, you know, for the what you're calling the frame. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what I hear is you set up the frame, which is the shot, normally, you know, the person or whatever it is that you're 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 getting ready to paint and or film, correct? Yeah. Okay. That's correct. And. So yeah, that is definitely an art form, and it's and it's and I think people most people don't realize the time it takes. That we're so used to seeing on you know TV and film, and I think that people just think that that's you know, wow, that's you know that was so, so easy, but it actually can take quite a while to set up one frame. Correct? Exactly. Yeah, people don't realize like how much goes into one shot or just one shot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, just the amount of time. Yeah, just. 
because I am also particular like how stuff is lit. So even just getting the lighting right and controlling it and yeah, I mean, yeah, I could take an hour for like a like a maybe something's coming on screen for like five seconds, but an hour that takes it you know it only takes five seconds to see is what you're saying. That, yeah, and that's <laughs> just kind of yeah, just random numbers, but <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I hope not, but no, we have. So okay. You've done a lot of different things, and uh, uh, but your your favorite things to do are what? That's what I would love to do is here. It's like, what do people really love to do? Um, you know, you've done a lot of work. You've done some work that, of course, you know, we all do things that we don't necessarily want to do. But this show and the things and the movement that I'm seeking for all of us to share in is to really do what you love to do and that you can be supported in that. And so I want to just talk today, you know, for a little bit about what you have been working on that you really love and that you want to continue and, you know, what you're getting ready to do in the near future. So um, let's talk about that. Uh, what have you been working on lately? Uh, well, right now we're entering um, the harvest season with wineries. So a lot of my work is with, with the Oregon wine industry. So I work this big, it's called Oregon Pinot Camp. Um, and it's a three-day festival where wines some we age from the world come to Oregon for three days and, this, and kind of learn the Oregon story and the cell types and what created the valley here that makes the most <clears throat> one of the most ideal locations in the world to grow Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so from that, I just kind of got hooked into the whole wine industry and kind of developed a family um, with the winemakers here and just these amazing artistic individuals. Um, so that's kind of my main stuff and then I do commercial work and uh, well, let, let's just let's let's go back to the winery thing because that really to me I'm kind of jumping in and telling your story <laughs> is your main is your main thing that you've been doing so I would I had uh, actually when we first met you, in 2008 you actually we did a little exchange that's that's how I did things <laughs> because of course I didn't have any cash flow uh, uh, at, at the time and it's been going on for a while but you know I used an exchange with Ben and you did you said you had some sort of um, uh, proposal that you wanted to do to get into this wine thing I didn't understand what it was but I believe this was it wasn't it the, the Pinot Camp or some other yeah. sort of yeah and that's too that was just a random posting on some film networking site and I guess they had over 90 people apply and then but I saw that and I was I knew I, sometimes with the with work or with things in life I just I know when to get it it's just and I just pursue them it's like I had this I, meant, I was meant to do this for you guys like and I kept pursuing them and kept checking in with them like did you guys get my work did you see my reel um, and then uh, yeah, and then I, f- so I finally got the gig, and um, so I met with a whole panel of kind of the the main people in the wine industry, um, and then from there, that just kind of launched me. Uh, so I produced the film for them that they show in the IMAX theater uh, when everyone, when all these people from around the world come to Oregon, and it's the first thing they see. So, so Mac and I did about, I think, maybe 14 to... Like yeah, around 14 interviews of the pioneers, winemakers, and the new generation, and kind of how Oregon's so unique. And it was a fun time. We were just checking around wine country together. I know. Okay, just in case people and, uh, didn't get it, that he said Michael and I. So so what happened is that Ben and I um, 
you know, I did the interviews for these for this wine, you know, for all these wineries. That, of course, I, I was very fascinated with, but I knew, you know, nothing about uh, wine in that that manner, I should say. And I met the most amazing people. That was one of the most amazing times I've had ever uh, to be to have that opportunity to do that and to go on location and talk to these people and ask them questions. And they were just amazing. I mean, we had the wine. The wine was out of sight. I mean, I don't, people do not know wine until they actually go to the winery and speak and talk to the winemaker. It is a different experience. Um, You really, as Ben would say, you know, taste what that person is all about, you know, um, and I found it fascinating. And, uh, you know, we were introduced to so many people. And from that, what you're saying is that, you know, it really launched you into doing um, many different projects relating to not just wine, but to farming, to food. Um, you want to continue? Um, well, I just remember, I don't know if, if you remember the experience with uh, with Jason Lett at the Irie Vineyards. Jason Lett is? Uh, he's with the winemaker at the Irie Vineyards. His dad started the whole industry. and The, the Pinot industry. The, or the pretty much the wine industry. Really? He couldn't even get a bank loan because the, the banks said like you can't grow wine in Oregon. It's like it's, it's just too wet. It will never ripen. And he, Jason's dad came from. Uh, he said at UC Davis, and he thought that da- the kind of Sacramento, Napa, Sonoma Valley was too hot for to grow Pinot ideally. And Oregon is actually the same latitude as uh, Burgundy, France, and the kind of same ripening window. And Pinot Noir has a very small window. It's like the smallest of any variety of a grape, and you can't. It's kind of you. It's like one chance to get it right. Um, and yeah, so he put, he started the whole Oregon industry. He stuck a bottle in just competition in France and, uh, they didn't know where his wine came from. Then it was revealed that it was from Oregon. So that got a lot of attention. So anyway, um, one of the interviews was with his son who took, took over, uh, the winery cause his dad actually passed away the, the first day. David let passed away the first day we did the interview with, for Uno Pino. Oh my gosh. I just now remember that yes and then but jason too has this very um very philosophical um approach to winemaking and how it's it's expression and through different soil types um you get different flavors but then what blew me away still i mean i tell a story uh that like I remember when we so I was I got really fascinated with the whole terroir, which is uh so terroir is the um expression of the land, a climate, people that create the wine, um mm-hmm. and how that gets profiled in the in the in the glass of wine. So I wanted to do a film kind of exploring expression around the world, like different wine regions, and then we we're just talking just not about it. And then he took you and I back to his back room and he had these two uh, barrels of wine same vintage same varietal of Pinot Noir same clone of Pinot Noir and then what he did was he just uh, he piped in different music into each of the barrels so one had John Coltrane's other an opera singer every taste was like totally different wine <laughs> okay. I was just, 
we were, like, we were drinking music. It was that to me just opened up a whole universe of expressions, like fascinating. So, he, and the music was being put into the barrels when it was going through the fermentation process. So, and the John Coltrane wine tasted like you're, like you're drinking like. John Coltrane. It's like brassy, <laughs> loud, and the opera singer was just like very floral, softer wine. Absolutely fascinating. I totally did not <laughs> remember that until you just told me. That is amazing. First of all, I don't remember how he said he even thought about doing that, about taking music and then pumping the music into the wine while it's fermenting. So that you can essentially get the vibration. I know to other people they're like, that sounds odd. But do you remember, I'm going to share something in a second. Do you remember where he got that idea? Did he share with that? We're going to have to have him on here. He does always different experiments with expression. And like last time I was there, he was making a perfume out of leaves. He was making perfume? Yeah, he gave me one. He gave me a custom perfume from the great leaves that he was growing. See, he's... This is why I remember why I love Jason. That he is, he is a scientist, you know. Um, and many of the farmers that we met are the same way. I mean, that's I don't think people realize that. I think people think there's people back there, you know. Well, because I think probably that gigantic, you know, the corporate yeah, wine industry, and, mm-hmm. and then becomes something different, which is the same thing. We're going to see that's fractal. We see the same thing happening in life. Uh, but no, these people are artisans. They're scientists, and what he, Jason did was fascinating. He, um, all I could remember is just him and his essence, and and the wine was something I've never tasted in my life. I mean, till then, I mean, the wines that I tasted while we were doing this w- blew me away and uh, really started me to, um, and to actually really the wine tasting and loving wine in general. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I liked it before, but not this, this way, but back to this thing with the, with, you know, putting the music, you know, the story uh, about, uh, let me, let me finish that statement, putting the music, into the wine, or I should I say, letting the music and the wine uh, move together. I, I, that's more like it, I should say. Wherever he got that idea, we could taste it. We could feel it. I could feel it in my body. I wasn't just like, oh, this tastes so different. You felt the difference. First of all, Jason let in this, and most, if not all of the Pinot makers, they're all, they may not be all labeled organic, but they all practice sustainable, uh, clean um, uh, farming that allows for um, wines that are just absolutely top-notch. Would that be correct or not? Um, I don't know. It's very... Um, I don't know if they all... They all there's always different uh, certifications. There's like live. Um, there's... Um, live? Yeah, and Salmon Safe, and there's Biodynamic. Um, Live, Biodynamic, and what was the other? Um, salmon Safe? Salmon Safe. Just like, so the runoff, like there can't be any like acids in the runoff because it goes to the river. Okay. Um, so they all have their own way of uh, farming and grapes and what they use or sulfates or... Or don't, okay. Yeah. I see. Got it. Well... You know the story or the, uh, the the scientific research about water and how they've done, you know, the water. You When you speak to the water, put a label on the water or say something to the water, and it actually changes its its formation. Well, I've actually heard 
recently that that was uh, that was false. That was people. That it's not true. You mean by who? Uh, which which? Uh, re, what was it? Doctor Imoto. Doctor Imoto. Yeah. You heard that that was false. Yes, that but, was. It was a it was set up. A set up by who? It was. <laughs> Now you're getting into, this is now you get into well no we're not going to necessarily broadcast everything hey I need you back into the uh, where are you what what happened to you I don't know. you're good okay we'll we'll talk about that yes. one at a different time but there is about jars of rice I've heard um, with these in uh, Japan there's they had these three jars of rice in a school but uh, I think it's like a I forget where exactly it was but anyway. The students would walk in the class and would say, I love you to the first jar, like hi to the second jar, and then hit you to the third jar. And things done over like a, maybe a two-month period, three-month. And the first jar was fluffy, the I love you rice. The second one was kind of okay. And the third, the, the, hate, the I hate you jar of rice was all black and moldy. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, regardless, you know, I, I, I'm not enough to, I don't, I can't say that that's my, my, my field of research is, is about these things. I just tie things together. But what I guess I'm saying is that regardless of, uh, you know, I don't know exactly the study you were talking about, about that being false, but, um, you know, it is uh, scientifically been proven wherever, you know, what's science, what's, what's true, what's not. I mean, everybody has their opinion. Everybody has research. Uh, you know, you tasted wine that was infused with, you know, John Coltrane and opera music and you said it tasted that way so is that enough for you or does it have to have some sort of uh, science behind it where they go oh that's just not true that's impossible the fact is is that the science that I'm speaking of it comes from the experience and so I think that that's where you know we can talk all day and and debate things all day and I think that's where we get caught up is we start debating well, that facts with this, I, you know, I, I, I love facts. I love data. I love analysis. And I think that helps us make great choices, you know, but the, the truth is, is that it comes down to your experience of things. And if that experience is bringing you life and bringing you happiness and joy, um, then that experience is true. And, you know, so you experienced, um, and I experienced something magical, uh, you know, with Jason Led. I didn't remember that actual story. All I remembered was how I was fascinated and and absolutely um, astounded by the experience that I had with him and all of those those farmers uh, that not all, but, you know, uh, most all of those uh, farmers um, creating these amazing wines uh, for people and to 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 experience. So that was fun. Okay, so. Um, you're really into the wine thing. You do some absolutely beautiful cinematography. Um, and I also would like to know, you, you love food. We love food. You do a lot of the things with the open kitchen. If you don't, guys don't know what the open kitchen is, that has to do with, um, you know, a, a not just a series, but an actual space, an actual center that we are developing. And that's a lot of why we're doing these tours and these podcasts is to help get that funded, um, is to create space where people can come create and innovate. And it's, it's all surrounded around food, wine. So we feature local winemakers such as Jason Lett and, uh, up and coming chefs or chefs, uh, working with naturopaths and nutritionists to, um, you know, make alkaline foods, to make vegetarian foods, to make food that is is meat, but the the meat is 
sustainable practices um, and you know and you're not eating tons of it um, and wonderful wonderful farmers that are creating um, wonderful food for 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 you know neighborhoods that we have here and so Ben I want to talk about that about the food thing you what have you been doing or what's your desire to act or do you have a desire to to do some cinematography around food because I know you're a foodie because every time we <laughs> This boy, listen, he is small like me. Um, you know, stature, you're, you're, I don't know how tall you are, but we won't say. Five, five on a good day. Five, five on a good day. Okay, so we're around the same size. And very, very muscular build. And I I can eat, but he can this. <laughs> if you put a bowl and a pot, not a bowl, a pot of food before him, it will be gone. Um, I don't know where you put it. I just don't get it. I mean, I don't get it. But you love food. I do know that. And so tell me what your experiences are, what you are, have been doing or would love to do in relations to food cinematography. Um, there's nothing really planned out or currently oh, really? going for that. Um, okay. Uh, but, I was working on a commercial for the brewery. I was mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. You you do uh, gluten free. There you go. That's beer. Gluten free beer. So that's what, one of your hobbies. Tell us about this hobby of yours. Yeah, I've just been making it for the past like eight years, ten years, and just been developing it. And uh, it's just well, also it's kind of like you were saying before. It's like this beer that makes you feel good. Like most beers I've had, uh, you feel tired and bloated and just like want to take a nap. And this one, you just feel like energized and feel creative with it in a way. And mm-hmm. um, so I started from my ex-girlfriend. She couldn't do gluten. She had celiac disease. So I made the beer for her. And then all my friends started coming more often. So I know it doesn't matter. Is beer here? All right. <laughs> it wasn't about coming over to say hi. It was about the beer, the gluten-free beer. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people have issues. Of course, you know that's a whole other story in it, in itself about the gluten. But uh, very tasty, dark beers that you've made. Uh, well, there's one. There's the the flagship, one uh, flagship summer Polaris. That's the kind of light, summery, fruity beer, and then summer. Say it again. Summer Polaris. So the brewery is called Polaris. Polaris. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, and what are you doing with that? Would you? Because that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to be, you know, to, uh, you know, for the, to make beer making, uh, not from hobby to actual business. You kind of, you kind of been playing around with that a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. But it took always twists and turns um, with partners and kind of building about the business. But uh, it did become like almost like you're conducting an orchestra with all the. Coronation and just money you need so much money for the tanks and for the space and to get it all certified and for the Oregon Liquor Control Commission and so I just got kind of always during the wintertime when I'm slow with more slow with my filmmaking um, but then I got busy again with filmmaking so I kind of pushed that aside for now exactly. but I was brewing at uh, a mutual friend's Mars space initially because you need like a separate um, detached space, which I was looking for for the longest time, and my friend had it. So, it was, and she wanted to do kind of an herbal uh, infusion, make the beer kind of beneficial. And I thought that was, 
up with an interesting take on these other beers we can kind of uh, collaborate on mm. and wild harvesting them. And So, first of all, the friend is, you said who, Mara? Yes. Mara. Mara is, is a friend, friend of ours. And what does she do? Um, she does naturopathic, a lot of acupuncture, um, herbal tinctures, massage. I think she has a clinic in town. Mm -hmm. And so with her, you were creating or seeking to create these beers that were actually a bit beneficial. When you say beneficial, people aren't thinking of beer as being beneficial. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, one beer we did was this kind of, uh, we did a porter that had cardamom and um, different, I guess like it was more of the winter beer. Like, and she was saying people need more blood movements. So some of the ingredients we used helped facilitate blood in the body. Mm. And then we we're going to do one with maybe seaweed. Um, so just different kind of uh, partnering uh, like a beneficial property with like with a flavor in a way. So we're going to do like a seaweed and it's like, oh, so maybe we'll kind of do it. So it's kind of, she came from more of the medical side and I came mm -hmm. from more of a flavor side. So different, like a seaweed, cream ale maybe. Well, okay. Very interesting. Very odd. But uh, <laughs> no, do did you guys actually from, from you know, from, yeah. From from these things, did you actually uh, come up with that actually beer can be healthy to your body? Or yeah, not, not that it's not, but no, you know, alcohol can. I mean, it's, especially how it's made, obviously, can be very detrimental to your body. But especially how we consume it. But it sounds like you guys were working on something that would actually be more medicinal or um, supportive, or just a couple of beers, like. Um yeah, and that, that's the whole thing, too. People, I think a lot of people got turned off. Oh, I don't want a beer that's, like, beneficial. It's kind of... Mm -hmm. So, it was more just not... It, it was just, like, an added thing to the beer, but not... But still having these really unique tasting beers. Right. And, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a that's something I definitely would like to, to you know, discuss further with people is, is you know, beneficial or, you know... Uh, I don't want to say medicinal. I think people get the wrong idea with that. But, you know, any sort of food. Well, one of the terms we have was uh, beer with a purpose. Or... Beer with a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people would say that they have beer with a purpose. So, <laughs> no, that's great. So, Ben, um, we, 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 it's, our time is up. So, it's been good talking to you, and we're going to have you in here again. Ben, uh, again, like I said, is, is one of my really great friends and uh, doing great work out there, Ben, uh, with your artistry. And you work with a lot of people here in town, a lot of our friends that we're going to have on um, on the show. And so, and he's going to be filming lots of things in the future. And um, he's actually one of the ones that we uh, are going to be filming with during this documentary to film all these things. As we raise funds and as we move forward, uh, we'll make that a reality. And um, we're going to start colliding all of our worlds and support ourselves through this creativity. And so I'm looking forward to that. And... Let's get Jason Lett in here. He's he, know, he's the he, guy. Jason Lett. We we love Jason. We're going to do an event with I'm Jason. I'm meeting with Lett. him um, a couple weeks. Okay. Of, yeah. You talk to him and say we're gonna yeah. we'll, we'll have the show launched. I think by t in two weeks. We've been saying that for probably three years. <laughs> so, Ben Garvey, thank you very much for showing up today, and uh, we appreciate you. I appreciate your work and your creativity. Um, you're a great talent and a great friend, and. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's great yeah. to be here. You bet. All right. 
We'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good, Baker. You've been listening to the Open Door podcast series. The Open Door is part of the Cocoon, the creative action centers of online open source networks. Tune in weekly, where we share ideas on consciousness, health, and creativity. Together, we are taking action where the 99% transform into 100%.